one thing I failed to mention a few moments ago is, I don't want us to leave without saying this, that next, sun, or next Saturday, September 19th, we're having a, a, a celebration of the ministry of Bill and Retta Haynes. I don't think they're here uh, this morning. Um, but uh, we're celebrating them next Saturday morning. And or, goodness gracious, next Saturday evening, don't come Saturday morning, come Saturday evening uh, from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. If you come Saturday morning at 6 a.m., you will be celebrating by yourself. Um, but uh, we hope you can join us. There's a registration online. You can go click the grace notes and, and uh, you, can, you can go there and, and follow that and register. That way we know how many people to plan for and everything. So some of you... I know I'm, I'm looking at several in here that are going to know exactly what I'm talking about here, but there is an app for runners and, and cyclists called Strava. And one of the unique things that Strava does as an app is it creates these segments, and you can create them anywhere. And a segment is just something that it's a, it's a stretch of whatever trail or, or road or whatever that you might run, and, and it keeps record of two things on that segment. It'll keep record of, of who runs it the most and becomes the local legend, or it also keeps record of who runs it or, or bikes it the fastest. And so you can go on, and there's all kinds of segments that you can click on, and you click on that segment, and it'll tell you who's run it the most, who's the local legend, who's the fastest, and put up, put up the best times and whatnot. And so a couple weeks ago, I was running, and honestly, I was just bored with running and where I've been running all the time. The, the COVID stuff has kind of made my running more routine because I don't get out as many different various places with different people. And so I was looking for something different to do. And I said, you know, there's, there's some Strava segments. So I looked at some of the Strava segments and I found one. I was like, you know, I think I could crush that one. I think I could be the top time on it. I'm pretty certain I can beat it. And so I went out and started running and got to where I knew the segment started and took off and was feeling great, and I, I think I'd, I was killing it. I was going to tell you, I was killing it, and I uh, ran hard and got to the end and stopped, looked at my watch, and just, I mean, I was pretty pumped up, pretty excited, and I, I was just kind of, you know, you had that kind of puffed up, my chest was a little thicker, holding my head high, cars were coming by, and I was thinking, if you knew, <laughs> you know, if you just knew, and uh, so I finished my run, went back, got into the house, and Opened up my phone where my watch syncs to the to the app and everything, and I, you know, here I'm just like wanting a good pat on the back, you know. And I open up Strava and look at it and click on the segment, and I know my face is just like, <laughs> yeah. And I click on it, and it's like, congratulations, you got a top ten time. And I'm like, of course I did. <laughs> I got it in the number one time, buddy. Clicked on open to it, and I don't remember what place I was, but it was not number one. It was like six or seven or something like that. And I went, what in the world? And I started looking. I zoom in on the map. And I had run really hard for about 98% of the segment. And I got to just literally feet from the end of it and stopped. And it was like, that's where I stopped and, you know, kind of caught my breath or whatever. And then started jogging again. And so it added like another 45 seconds to my time. And I went, you got to be kidding me. And so here's what came to mind. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I was so proud of myself and my accomplishment and how fast I was, even though I know that there are people in this very room that can run it faster than me. I wanted 
people to bring up that segment and see Todd Meadows across that, number one, fastest. That's what I wanted. You see, I stand before you today, and I think I can acknowledge for all of us that we are prone to pride. And, and I have to confess this morning that I stand before you not as a man who experienced that a few weeks ago and went, oh, that's what pride is like. No. I stand before you as a man who daily wrestles pride. I, I stand before you knowing well the thoughts of I hope they notice me knowing well the thoughts of I hope I can do this well and people are proud of me. I hope that people think highly of me. I know all those thoughts. I I confess to you today that I know the reality of selfishness, of doing something that someone pats you on the back thinking you are so selfless when all the while your heart is telling you you did that so that people would see you. I stand before you as one who would confess before you and before our God that I wrestle with pride. And so today we come to a passage that speaks to that very issue, and I had to say that because there are some topics of Scripture you come to and some statements of Scripture that you come to as a pastor, and you sit back in your study, and you read it over and over again, and you just really confess before the Lord, how am I? going to preach this how am I going to help you in this when I struggle so greatly with it and we come to that often but when we come to pride it is one that we just struggle with greatly so we're going to continue in Romans 12 this morning 12 3 through 8 we'll spend the gist of our time in verse 3 this morning and we'll tackle the other verses another day I want to read to you what Paul writes in Romans 12, 3 through 8. He says this, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. What Paul's doing here is in the first two verses, he, if you can think of a canvas here that Paul's painting, on, on the first two verses, he kind of takes a really broad brush stroke and, and paints the foundation of the painting and, and does the, the primary background of the painting that, that we are all to live lives of worship, lives, live lives of, of living sacrifices. We give all that we are, all that we do unto the Lord. And so Paul has laid that foundation in, in just kind of a broad brush stroke of our lives, and he comes now to, to the details. And he's going to work first the details of how we live with one another. What does it look like and how we interact with one another? And then he's going to get on to an area later in Romans 
uh, where he talks about how do we interact and how do we function with those outside the church. And so he's looking inside the church and then outside the church, and he begins with humility. He starts with humility, and here's what we learn as we, as we walk through 3 through 8 and into uh, verses 9 through 21. What we're going to learn is there's two truths that we get. There's two truths that Paul wants us to, to understand. We've covered these. These will be somewhat of a review when you hear them. But the first one is that believers who live holy for God are committed to the community of God. If we live holy for God, if we live lives of worship to God, then we are going to be committed to the people of God. The second truth that he is going to drive home is that the believer who is transformed by the renewing of his mind will interact with others in a way that, that is different than one who is an unbeliever. So if you are a believer, the way you interact with those in the church is different, and even the way you interact with those outside the church is different. We carry ourselves differently because God has done a work of renewal and made us a new creation in saving us through Christ. And so those two truths are going to drive home, but we want to ask the question this morning, why does Paul start with humility? Why does he first, when he thinks about and calls us to how we interact with one another, why, why does he begin by saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to? Why does he start with humility? What I would say is that, that Paul knows the truth that, that pride is absolutely destructive to our individual Christian life, and it is absolutely destructive to the Christian community. Hey, just consider for a moment the, the passage that, that Pastor Matt read, Luke 18. I want you to hear this again. Consider this just for a moment. It says that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Or, I'm sorry, I'm too early. Verse 9, sorry. He told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, you understand that the Pharisee is a religious man. He is a man that knows the Scriptures. He is a man who has devoted his life to theology and the study of God. And yet here he is standing in the temple and saying this, he's saying that I'm glad I'm not like him. I, I'm glad that, that I'm not a, a liar, that I'm not unjust, that I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a tax collector. And we, we have this picture of this religious man saying these things. And, and I would say, I, I would guess, I would contend that you're like me, you read that and you just shake your head. You, you kind of go, I can't believe that guy. And does that kind of make you furious? Does it kind of make you angry? Does it make you just read that with disgust and shake your head and go, I can't imagine that? Well, what I would say is I would guess that we probably can imagine it. I would say that the reality is, is that there are very times where you and I have had that same exact thought. Where you and I have, have kind of settled our jacket and go, man, I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm glad I'm not like her. I'm glad I don't do that. You see, pride resides within each of us. And here's the truth. 
Here's the truth about pride is that one of the biggest, biggest problems with it is that we can see it in others much better than we can ourselves. I mean, I can look, and I've got like this pride radar. Somebody comes in, man, they are just proud of themselves. It's like, right? All of you guys are going, whoa, he's thought about me before. Maybe I should do this. I don't know. We, we know, we pick it up, we hear it, we sense it. We know pride. The question is, do we see it, do we sense it, do we know it when it's in ourselves? Let me ask you, let me ask you if any of these postures might describe you. Any of these maybe uh, thoughts or postures or, or attitudes would be ones that you would say, okay, yeah, that's me, been there, done that. Here's the first one, this kind of posture that says, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. It, it, it would be the, the morally self-righteous person. The one who just thinks, you know, I'm, I'm just living my life better than they're living their life. The one that looks at someone else's sin and just goes, I can't believe that. How could she do that? How could he do that? This is the one who, who sees the depravity around them, the sin around them, and looks with disgust and pride, and complaining, and mockery. Instead of being driven to compassion over those who are lost and in need of Christ. I'm better than you. Is that your posture? What what about this one? I'm right. You're wrong. Might that be your posture? That is this kind of knowledge snobbery? Your idea snobbery? It could be theological it could be political it could be methodological the way that we should do this i know better than you no that should be done differently we should do that differently this is kind of snobbery that and and some of us honestly it just comes out in our confidence in our own opinions and preferences i know better i'm right you're wrong why well that's just because that's who i am I don't really need a reason, do I? My opinion is better than yours. Maybe this one would hit home. Look at me. Do you, do you kind of walk around down the street, down the sidewalk, sit in your office, in your car, in the sanctuary, and you just have that kind of attitude or this posture of look at me? That constantly in the back of our mind, your mind, my mind, we're asking, have you seen my achievements? Like, do you remember how smart I am? Did, did you forget how athletic I am? Like, like, you know how successful I am, right? Like, have you noticed how wealthy I am? Or, or how about this one? You do understand how spiritual I am, right? I mean, I haven't missed a devotional time in, (laughs) I don't even remember when. Or maybe this posture. You can't tell me anything. I I don't need your help. I, I know what needs to be done. It's, it's the pride of an independent spirit that resists authority and elevates my opinion and my knowledge above all others. It's the, the pride 
that could even be so bold as to say, I know what I know, and I know that what I think is right, even if Scripture contradicts it. It's the pride that would look at a text of Scripture and read it and go, okay, let's just move on. You see, we struggle with pride. I would hesitate to say that some or one of those hit everybody in the room. Like I I would almost say, raise your hand if one of those covers you. But then we would be tempted to be proud of raising our hand, right? (laughs) I mean, it's like any way we go, we're struggling. We need Christ. We need Christ. So let's look at the Word of God and let's see how he deals with this. Where does Paul begin? Verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So what does he he begin with? He says, by the grace given to me. Do you remember in chapter 1 when he introduces himself? In chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about the gift of apostleship that was being given to him by God's grace. Paul recognizes that his own position, his apostolic authority that he is now speaking with them from is a gift of God. It is something that God has given him. That's what drives the humility of Paul. That Paul knows that everything he has is a gift from the Lord. And that's something that he comes to. He says, listen, by the grace given to me, the position I'm in, the the place I am, the, the title as an apostle to the Gentiles, as I come to you, this is by God's own grace. And we need to understand that our own giftedness is a result of God's gift. It's his grace. Now, who does he say this to? Look at, look, at your, look at your text. By the grace given to me, I say this to who? Everyone among you. Everyone among you. We don't need to miss this. This is an important statement. Paul is addressing every believer. Paul is addressing every person standing in the Roman church. He's not saying, listen, I know there's this one segment that struggles with pride, but boy, thanks be to the Lord that you guys are good to go. You don't struggle with it at all. No, he says, I I need to say something to all of you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You all struggle with pride. Grace Baptist Church, we need need to come come clean here. Paul needs to look at us, and the Word of God looks at us and says, listen, you need to understand that you struggle with pride. I struggle with pride. This is something we have to deal with. There's no age too old that you say, you know what, I don't struggle with pride anymore. There's no age too young that you're like, I haven't started struggling with pride. No, I know from the time I was born, I did really well with thinking of myself first. I was all about me, myself, and I. It was just me. No one taught me to do that. There's no particular group that needs to be more humble. We all do. There's no particular section of the church that needs to be more humble. We all do. There's no particular role in the church that needs to be more humble. We all do. And so Paul now confronts. He says, listen, by the grace given to me is a gift that I've received. Now I want to speak to all of you. There's three things he says. Let's look at these three aspects of his command. Here's the first one. Is that he confronts the wrong mindset. The wrong mindset. And what you see as we talk about these three things is you see that Paul's really concerned with our disposition, our thinking, our, the, kind of the direction and trajectory of our mindset. So the, the first thing he talks about is the wrong mindset. Look at, look at how often he talks about thinking in here in this verse. See, there's actually four times that he says it in the Greek. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think with sober judgment, each according to, the judgment is the other one in the Greek, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It, one, one commentator um, translated said, Don't, do not estimate more yourself more highly than you ought to be estimated, and do not es- or, but estimate yourself with sober estimation, is the way he related, to try to get and pull that out for us in the English. So Paul is concerned with our trajectory, the, the, the posture, the disposition of our mindset. And so the first thing he's concerned with is the wrong mindset. And he's pretty blunt about it. He simply says, do not be proud in layman's terms. Don't be proud. Why? Why, Paul? What's wrong with pride? Well, pride flies in the face of everything that God calls us to. It defies the calling of God on our lives. I mean, even in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, a, a verse that you probably have heard, says, what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. We, we talk about Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. Listen to this. It says, At the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, they're thinking, We're, we're the inner twelve, buddy. We're going to have some good seats in heaven. Who's the greatest? And Jesus calls to him a child. And he puts him in the midst of them and he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want a picture of greatness? Let's see a picture of humility. That's what Jesus defines. Matthew 20, 25 through 27, Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the picture of service. It's a picture of humility. Matthew 10, 38 to 39, Jesus says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's not a picture of saying, hey, I'm proud. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. No, it's a picture of humbling ourselves and taking our cross and following him. Luke 18, 9 to 14. This is the passage we read earlier. Jesus condemns what? For the, what, the, the Pharisee for what? For pride. For not humbling himself. That is the condemnation that Jesus speaks upon him. It's pride. So the problem we face is this, is that pride is very natural to us. But God calls us away from that. That's why we need the grace of God and the strength of God, the power of God in our lives is to pull us away from the pride that comes so naturally. It's so natural. See, pride lies at the core of who we are. And it's like this just cesspool, this stagnant, smelly pond of water. And the roots of our hearts just sink down into this pond they drink deeply of it and when the root of our heart sinks into this pond it leads us to think much of ourselves it leads us to seek our own desires it leads us to think that our opinions are more than other people's and it leads us to pout when we don't get our way if we don't like something we pout about it we don't think that's the way it should be or somebody looks better than us somebody beats us somebody is more exalted than us or more successful than us then we pout why can't i be like him that's what happens when our heart drinks deep of that cesspool of pride we need to be rooted in christ paul talks about that in colossians 2 6 through 7 in that context when he says rooted in christ it leads to thanksgiving because we're rooted in christ it leads us to be thankful for the grace of christ in our lives and what does jesus say in john 
uh, 4, 13 to 14, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, when you drink from the water of pride, you come away thirsty. You come away thirsty for more self-exaltation. You come away thirsty for more compliments. You come away thirsty for more likes on your social media platform. You come away thirsty for more awards, more medals, more recognition. You come away thirsty for more pride fillers. You just want more and more and more and more, and it doesn't end. But, oh, when you drink deep from the fountain of Christ, when you drink from the living water, you come away satisfied by His grace. You come away content in His goodness. And you come away quenched by his love. We need to deep drink deep from the living water that is Christ. Now, before we move past this, I want to I point something out that I think is very important. Look at, look at what he says here. He says that everyone among you should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Do, do you... Do you catch something really important there? Listen again. Let me say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than what? Than he ought to think. Now, this is a curious word to me. This tells me that there is a way that I ought to think about myself. It tells me that there's a way that you ought to think about yourself. Listen to Psalm 8. Do you know Psalm 8? There's a song, there's a hymn. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name, right? I can't, this is one of those psalms that I can't read without thinking of my childhood memories of singing that hymn. Listen to verse 4. Or verse 3, the psalmist says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? <laughs> what? There's the there's humility. Like what, what are we that God even thinks about us? <laughs> what, who are we that God would even care for us? But oh, listen, listen to then what he says. The psalmist says that, but then he says, Yet, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. He says, on one hand, what is man that you would even think about him? And then on the other hand, he says, oh, but yet you have put him in this distinguished position. You've, you've put him as the one who shows dominion over all creation. You've crowned him and put him just right where you wanted him to be your image bearer. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Listen, humility is not this self-depreciation or emotional self-abuse. That's not what humility is. Humility is not something where I walk around with my head hanging over and, and I just kind of go, well, I'm just no good, I, I, I just don't know who I am. I, I'm terrible at this. It's not something where if someone compliments you, you have to go, well, I'm just, I'm just terrible. I, it's just, you know, I don't know. 
I can't even hardly look at them. No, it's not this self-depreciation or emotional self-abuse. No, you need to remember who you are. I need to remember who I am. I'm an image bearer of God Almighty. I've been created to display the glory of God in my life. You have too. We've been called the people of God. We've been called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. (laughs) That's amazing. That's who you are. You've been adopted as an heir of God Almighty. You are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the people of God. And so we live as such. We live as those who bring glory and honor to Him. The problem, here's where pride comes in, is instead of bringing glory and honor to Him, we bring glory and honor to me. We go, oh, I want to look good. I want recognition. I want you to pat me on the back. No, we want to exalt the Lord. So don't be proud, but don't lose sight of who you are. Know who you are. Know that you've been saved by grace. Know that you're the recipient of divine mercy and love. Know that you're a treasured possession of God Almighty. So he says, in that train of thought, the second thing, first is the wrong mindset, the second is the right mindset. He says, but think with sober judgment. Think with sober judgment. You guys are completely content to sit here as long as you want to, aren't you, right now? Sober judgment simply means that we think rightly about who we are. It's thinking as we ought to think. Rightly about about who we are in light of who God has made us and what God's done in our lives. The pastor, late pastor Ray Stedman, he said he tried to remind himself daily of three truths that he said pointed him or led him towards confidence without conceit. Okay, listen to these three truths that he would just remind himself of daily. First, I am made in the image of God. Well, he's just talking about I'm an image bearer of God. I'm made in the image of God. Second, he says, I am filled, reminding himself, I am filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit dwells within me. And then third, I am part of the plan of God. God's got a plan, and he's carrying out that plan, and for some crazy reason we're a part of that plan and he says that leads him to confidence without conceit listen none of these reminders are self-centered but they are all statements that's about self that are centered on god right that's the that's the key that these statements are not self-centered to where they turn us in to think of ourselves but they're statements about who we are that lead us to think more about god and his calling for us in our lives you, you remember Paul, when, when he thinks about this right mindset, what, what does he point the people to of, of Philippi? What is his example? What is Paul's grand example for the people of Philippi? It's, it's, it's resting in the, the character and the work of God. Philippians 2, we, we've meditated on it before the sermon, right? Verse 3 and 4, he said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count, one, or count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in what? Anybody know? Christ. Christ Jesus. Jesus is the supreme example of humility. Why? Because he goes on to say, Jesus who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Son of God. The Son of God humbles himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is the supreme example. Humility is anchored in the character of God and the work of God. We look to Christ, we see humility. We lean on Christ because he leads us to live in humility by his grace and for his glory. We drink deep of the living water that is Christ because he satisfies our thirst for him and the things in life that he leads us to contentment in him and to be quenched by his grace and his love. So we look to Christ. We look to Christ to lead us to live a humble life. The final thing Paul talks about is the standard for our mindset. The standard for our mindset is Christ. He says here in verse 3 of of Romans 12, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, the measure of faith can be interpreted a couple different ways. It it can be interpreted or understood as like these different proportions of faith given to believers. So everybody in here would have a different measure of faith in what, in what you're granted. The, the second way that it can be interpreted it would be referring to a measure or standard of faith by which all are saved, namely the gospel. So is he saying that you, all, you, you have a different measure here, and you've got a little less, you've got more, less, more, less, and we go across and we have this different measures of faith? Or is he saying that we've been saved by the gospel that we have been saying we're called to be humble according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I, I would say contextually you really need to go with the second option that contextually what Paul's saying is that the measure or standard of faith by which we are saved. This measure or the standard of faith is the gospel. He's referring to the standard of faith that God assigned in salvation. That it is faith in Christ, right, by which we're saved. And it is that faith faith that he is assigned, that standard, that canon, that measure of faith that he is assigned that guides us to think soberly about ourselves and understand who we are. Now, later in the passage, we're going to come to another statement that would give more the idea and leading, understanding that we had different proportions of gifts. But in this statement here, I think Paul is absolutely referring to the standard of faith. And here's why. Because when we consider the call to humility, it would be really odd for Paul to say, listen, don't think more highly of yourself than not, but I do want you to realize you have more faith than that guy. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense. But if he says, listen, I want you to not think more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, and I want you to think according to the standard of faith by which you have been saved that has been appointed, assigned by God, then that makes me understand. It It makes sense, right? It falls in line with the teaching of Scripture. It falls in line with the context and the the meanings of the Word. That we would all stand with great humility because we were all saved, not according to our own works, but by the grace of God. Why? So that no man might boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We don't boast because we didn't save ourselves. So the gospel is the standard that drives out pride and leads us to think soberly of who we are. 
That's why we come to the gospel. That's why we measure ourselves against Christ and the gospel. We don't measure ourselves against others. The cross demands that we examine our pride. The cross demands that we lay down our pride. Why? Because Christ humbled himself and went to the cross. Because why? Because we were bound by pride. We were dead in our sin of pride. And we were confined to it. We were lost in selfishness and egocentricity. We needed Christ. And he humbled himself and died for us to free us from our own pride. So we stand before him humble. He has uprooted our hearts and drawn them out of that cesspool of pride and planted them in the living water of Christ. That's what happens on the cross. And so you need to know, unbeliever, you're sitting here today, you need to know that right now your heart is drinking deep of a stagnant cesspool of pride. And you need Christ to come into your life and to quench your thirst. And until that happens, you are going to long and you're going to thirst for recognition and acknowledgement and success above others. But when Christ comes into your life, he satisfies and you never thirst again. You are content in him. Only Jesus can free you from this and satisfy your soul. So turn to Christ today. Let me give you just four things to close our time today. Four ways that we might cultivate a mindset of humility. I don't think this is one of those things that we come in and we talk about humility, we talk about pride, and we come away and we go, well, golly, it's just this kind of out there thing and there's nothing I can do about it. I do believe there's something we can do about it, that God has called us to live in a way that honors Him and glorifies Him in a way we can cultivate and come before Him in His grace to be strengthened, to live for His glory and to reject pride. Here, Here are some just things that I've learned over the past. One is you need to be aware of mirrors. We need to guard ourselves when we look at a mirror. See, a mirror can be used for two things. A mirror can be used to examine ourselves, right? It can be used to, to look and physically to examine and make sure my tie's tied right and all that stuff, whatever I need to do in a mirror, right? We can examine and see if something's off. But mirrors can also be something that leads us to be consumed by self. So it can either lead us to examine ourselves or be consumed by ourselves. And so beware of mirrors. Is it something where every time you go by a mirror, you just look and go, man, I'm a pretty good-looking guy. Oh, wow, look at me. Oh, good. So mirrors of life, the things that when we see reflections of ourselves, does that lead us to be consumed by self? Or when we see reflections of ourselves, do we examine ourselves before the cross and in God's grace? The second thing I would say is to remember your own sinfulness and God's incredible grace. Remember your own sinfulness and God's incredible grace. I think this is a, a great calling, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. I think we read this last week or week before where Paul says this. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remember who you are. I I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm a a sinner who needed and needs God's mercy. Oh, the number of my sin is vast. 
But the depths of his mercy is much, much more. So remember who you are. The next thing I say is pray for and encourage others. It's really hard to be proud and to look down on other people when you're praying for them. Have you noticed that? So who do you pray for? Do you, do you have a routine of praying for people in our church body? Is there someone you're jealous of? Pray for them. It'll do wonders for your soul. What, what, would, it, what would it be if we come into church every Sunday and our goal would be to encourage someone? That we would shift our mindset, not thinking, hey, I want to come in and have people talk about how nice I look and how nice my tie is and how great the sermon was and how great this is and that is and yada, yada, yada. But we come in and go, man, I want to find someone I can encourage. I want to find someone this morning, maybe three people. I'm just going to speak life into them by encouraging them. Pray for people, encourage them. And then finally, I would say this. Find a way to serve people. Find, find a way to serve people. Like, how do you care for those around you? Is your life consumed by hoping people look at you, by hoping people think you're funny, by hoping people think you're great, the best at whatever you do? Or are you looking for ways to serve people? Are you trying to be better than everybody at work, or are you seeking to serve everybody at work? Are you trying to be the best on your team or serving the people on your team? Are you trying to be the most known at grace or the one who serves the people of grace? Serve others. Here's what all this says. In a nutshell, all four of these things, right, is to think of yourself less and think of others more. Bottom line. If you and I want to cultivate a mindset of humility, we have to stop looking at ourselves so much. And we have to begin looking at the cross of Christ and the needs of others and caring for them well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. We give you praise for you came and you humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross. A death you did not deserve, a death you did not merit. It was one that we deserved and we merited. And so God, I pray that when we consider you, who you are and what you did, God, that it would remind us of who we are and what you did for us. That we would stand in humility before you and thanksgiving for what you've done. And that God, as a result, we would live lives in which we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but that we think with sober judgment and we serve others and we care for others. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks, Lord. So lead us to think more of the interests of others than our own. And let us serve others for your glory and their good. And let us reject the sin of pride that just rears its head so often in our lives. God, help us to walk humbly before you, our God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.